This is episode 138 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today's articles are A Prepper's Food Storage, Challenges and Solutions, Better a Year Early Than a Day Too Late, and The Bug Out Formula, If You Have to Ask Yourself It's Already Too Late. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version, with some commentary, of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, before we get started, just a couple of things, just a little update on Harvey. You know, if, I'm, I'm sorry if you're uh, kind of getting bored with it. I uh, just wanted to kind of point out uh, a couple of things. Uh, first of all, um, you know, like the Drudge Report has been reporting, you know, 100,000 homes destroyed. Um, what we're hearing here in Houston on the news reports, it's more like 136, uh, 100,000. And so that's probably, I mean, that's they're saying that's a conservative number there. So it's probably going to go up. Um, you know, that's all the other people who probably don't even realize they did. Like, you know, somebody that I know on Facebook um, saw noticed some some wet sheetrock that they hadn't noticed, but with all the rain and and stuff that they you know uh, that we had, uh, you know it came in through a, a different part of their ceiling, um, on top of getting a little bit of water on the bottom you know of their of their first floor. So um, there's going to be all kinds of things like that that uh, people are dealing with. Um, the other thing is you know I got up today and uh, went to the grocery store. I mean I wasn't super early. Uh, but went to the grocery store and, uh, you know, it, it's funny that people go for is like milk and eggs and bread, right? So um, there was plenty of fruits and, and vegetables. I mean, that was loaded down. Uh, people weren't loading up on that at all. Um, I went to uh, the milk section, did have milk. So they did have, uh, you know, although you could tell that it was uh, starting to run low. Um, the bread aisle was wiped out. The chip aisle was completely wiped out. I've never seen it like that before. The only things that were left were like the nasty chips that nobody ever eats, right? And then um, eggs. Eggs were like completely gone. And you wonder, like, do people eat that many eggs on a regular basis? Or is it just because, um, you know, the word gets out, hey, you know, they're running short on milk and eggs and, and, and you know, bread, milk and eggs. And, and everyone kind of panics and goes and buys eggs. Maybe people that normally wouldn't eat eggs, but they're making them, you know. And uh, so, or they're at least buying them and storing them. So I don't know. Uh, uh, you know, we we do eat eggs pretty regularly. I mean, we, you know, my wife makes some tacos and and breakfast tacos. The kids love that, and, and we use it just for uh, you know just for making whatever um, you know if we need it in recipes and different things like that. So uh, you know, but it was kind of I'm not going to die if I don't have eggs. I'm kind of missing my chickens, but uh, I'm not going to die if I don't have eggs. And so that's. Uh, uh, you know, that's it's one thing. It's, it's one of those things. It's like a, a self-fulfilling prophecy type thing where people, um, you know, put it out there. Oh, they have milk and eggs and stuff over here. And, and on one of the one of the pages, local pages here, people were posting, hey, this store over here has eggs and this store over here has eggs. And uh, you just wonder if that's what it is. And uh, you wonder if the gas shortages that they're talking about is that's part of it as well. Um, I stopped by the, you know, because I, I, of course I'm reading everything on Facebook and I'm I'm seeing what people are talking about gas shortages up north, uh, or North Texas and uh, like Dallas has a complete gas shortage, and uh, you wonder if it's just people panicking or what. And um, went by my local gas station here in the corner where I always fill up, corner of my neighborhood, 
And uh, sure enough, I mean, all their pumps, there's like two pumps that were still working that were still pumping uh, gas. And uh, so I filled up my uh, my truck and, uh, you know, let my son know, hey, if you, you know, what is your gas situation like? Because we might have problems here. Uh, I even let my church know, hey, if you, you know, you need to fill up um, because there might be some gas shortages. And not necessarily because there are gas shortages already, but because it becomes one of those supply and demand things and, and uh, you know, self-fulfilled uh, prophecies where people start putting it out there. I read on Twitter, I don't know if it's true or not, North Carolina uh, is declaring a state of emergency because of uh, gas shortages. I don't know. Judge Report was saying that, uh, you know, there's going to be gas issues by Labor Day because you know, we have one of the big refineries down here was shutting down for a couple of weeks and that's going to cause issues there. So, uh, you know, you don't know. You don't know if that's all um, supply and demand, if it's just people start panicking uh, or if there really is going to be a problem. So you start wondering about that. So, uh, you know, you have those kinds of things going on. Um, right now we have a lot of you know attention pointed to Houston like I said yesterday uh, you know please consider the other smaller communities the other the smaller towns that were hit by Hurricane Harvey that aren't getting the support like Houston is getting there's just so much support here um, and uh, you know uh, I've been a part of of um, I guess efforts you know uh, charitable events and things like that where there's so much so much that comes in it actually starts to get thrown away. It starts to get, it's it, it becomes so much that it's like we have so much we don't have people to give to. Uh, and uh, so that's that's a concern uh, that I was thinking about. You know, there's so many people that are giving. There's so many, there's so much clothes, there's so much this, there's so much that. And, and they're still putting out requests for different things, right? Specific items. Um, but that is my concern because I, I have been a part of places where it's just like there's just so much. What do we do with it? You know, we got to call someone to come take it or, or whatever. Uh, and when you know some of this stuff can be diverted to other smaller communities like uh, you know along the Texas coast or even Louisiana that that because uh, 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 Harvey hit you know the whole Texas coast up into Louisiana, and so there's a lot of people that are you know hurting because of it. We've got Irma going off in the in the becoming a category four maybe a five and people are freaking out about that don't don't panic people just watch the news stay aware that's why we stay we stay aware so that we can prepare uh you know there's another little disturbance in the gulf that they're saying there's a 20 percent chance that it could could come and hit the the gulf and create rain but we have uh a cold front coming down a cool front not a cold a cool front coming down that's probably going to keep it you know off the uh off the coast or if it does it's just going to be a small little rain event nothing nothing too big but uh you know there's always always those kinds of things going on that's why we stay uh, prepped and aware hey uh had you know steven mentioned on the facebook group that uh yesterday's article uh, episode 137 that's uh, daisy luther's article about finding prepper friends friends really hit home with him and so uh he was going to be a little bit more proactive on doing some of those things and and uh, other people gave a little bit so advice too. So Ray was talking about, um, you know, not just gun shows, going to gun shows, but also gun shops. And I do uh, recommend that with with uh, with Ray. I mean, I think I talked about that before. There's a local gun shop um, here in, in my area where you kind of go, and, and I haven't been in a long, long time, but you start going, they start seeing your face on a regular basis, and uh, maybe where they're keeping back, you know, like when the ammo shortage was going on. 
They might be keeping ammo back for just people coming in and looking for it, but if you're a regular customer, they might be you know, uh, more apt to, to give that to you because you're a regular customer. They're going to take care of their regular customers there. But uh, you know, going and, and just spending a little bit of time talking and, and, and uh, getting to know those guys can be helpful, and you can maybe uh, link up with some people there. And then Barbara mentioned that in, in her area, um, I can't remember exactly where she's at, but uh, in her area, preppers have received uh, a kind of like a, a bad uh, a bad name because they didn't assimilate very well because you know preppers are you know keep to keep to themselves and opsec and all that kind of junk and so uh, they don't really you know they really kind of gave themselves a bad name so people don't really want to to work with them um, whereas you know when she came into the scenario uh, you know there were more farming and ranching and so uh, when they when they hired people they paid them really well and they uh, you know they they took the time to build relationships and those kinds of things and so uh, you know that's that's always part of it right we have uh, it can get that bad name because we stay so isolated to ourselves so Stephen's gonna said that he's going to do some things to be proactive there. I think a lot of uh, other people are, are going to start doing that as well. All right, so I have some really great articles today. Um, it's Friday. I pulled one out uh, specifically from Ed That Matters that I think is important um, That uh, because I'm hearing stuff about evacuations and stuff, and, and I think it's, it's uh, maybe it's eye-opening. Um, it didn't. It, it got some play um, back in the day when I, when I posted on Prepper website, but... Um, uh, it's, it's a little bit older article, about a year old now, uh, but I think it, it definitely applies to situations like what's going on, what happened in Houston and what people are talking about evacuating. Um, a good one over from Peak Pro Prosperity. It's the first time we're going to, I mentioned them before, but the first time we're going to read one from uh, this article, from this website. And then uh, our first one comes to us from survivalistprepper.net. Uh, Dell and Lisa have uh, a podcast, a great podcast over there, Survivalist Prepper Podcast. Uh, but they also put together their uh, articles, uh, articles, and, and drop those uh, down on their website, and uh, you know, or make them available. And so I don't believe this was this was not a uh, specific to a uh, to a podcast, because so, I don't see the podcast linked here. But the the article is entitled "A Prepper's Food Storage Challenges and Solutions," and uh, this looks like it was written by Lisa Dell's wife. So let's go ahead and read this one. With all the news going on in the world around us, and some right here at home, it has pushed my prepping into high gear. Could this be nothing other than saber-rattling and trash talk from one leader to another? It could be, but am I willing to risk not being prepared in case something does happen? Not a chance. My concerns range from North Korea to Antifa to the never-ending supply of money the government thinks it has. While the threat from North Korea is a little overhyped by the mainstream media, the silence surrounding government corruption, unless you're Donald Trump, and government spending is deafening. Hey, let me stop right here. There was something else I was wanting to talk about at the very beginning, and if I don't do it here, I'm probably going to forget. But she, uh, uh, reading this article and, and reading North Korea there kind of reminded me of this. Um, so, you know, North Korea is ramping up. We're, we're sending more and more assets to the area um, which is, you know, kind of scary in in that fact. Um, I had heard um, someone had told me that Russia has pulled back from uh, from from you know from their borders as as much as possible. Uh, and then uh, today, which I thought was very very curious, um, uh, Amir Sarfati, who who runs Behold Israel, uh, and he talks a lot about prophecy and different things like that. 
uh, is mentioning that you know there, there's a little bit of concern, um, and I think he's a colonel in the Israeli uh, military. I'm not sure. Um, and but you, a lot of the times he says he has uh, you know insight uh, of what's going on, and he's saying that a lot of um, Western countries are concerned with what Russia is doing. They're supposed to be doing some war gaming or some drills uh, on uh, the, the Ukraine, Lithuania, um, and Polish uh, borders. And so they're saying that there's going to be like uh, you know maybe sixty thousand soldiers involved. But he is saying that what what people are saying is there's more like a hundred thousand uh, soldiers, and there's a lot of assets that normally wouldn't go into just drills that are being moved forward into the border. And uh, he's you know one of the things that he mentioned was a lot of the times Russia kind of uh, pushes and pushes and, and pokes and prods and and kind of sees what the reaction is going to be and before they move forward. And so he was saying that in the intelligence community, there's a lot of uh, question about what's going on with uh, with Russia and you know being over there on that border, and maybe possibly um, with all the attention on North Korea, people aren't paying attention to what Russia is doing, and that could be a smokescreen over in North Korea, uh, with North Korea ramping up and maybe uh, you know they, they're ramping up and getting everyone's attention, and then you know assets are being deployed, and then boom. Russia makes a move, and then uh, everyone's on their heels, right? So I don't know. Uh, just wanted to kind of pass that off because there's just so many things, right, that are up in the air. On top of everything that's happening, there's just, it's just, you know, there's always craziness, right? So another thing to kind of uh, keep in the back of your mind, and then you know, kind of keep your ears open for anything that's that could possibly be going on there. All right, so let's uh, keep moving on here. I've been listening to many different news shows as well as podcasts, and even though I really don't want anything to happen, it could. I want to make sure I am as prepared as I can be just in case. And if my internal sense is incorrect, well, I guess my family and I will be that much more prepared for a little bit longer. I'm okay with that. One of my priorities for prepping is, of course, food. I love food. My family loves food, too. And I love the feeling of having a substantial backup of food. We spend hundreds of dollars each month to feed our families, and it's nice to know that if the money train stops, I can still feed my family. Sometimes, though, this, can't get a, this can get a little out of hand. We have cupboards and closets that are filled with food storage, and when we run out of conventional storage, we start thinking out of the box and create some additional areas to store even more food. When packaged food nears its expiration date, and when we inevitably have some food that has reached or is near reaching its expiration date, we transfer that up to our kitchen pantry, or if it's way past its expiration date, I save it. Do you wonder why I save expired food? This may be a little too far out there for some people, but it works for me. Let's say that there was some scenario that happened and I had people coming into my home demanding I give them my food. I am a lot more willing to give them food that is near its best by date or well past it. I will have that food in plain sight while the really food while the real food storage is safely hidden away. If things are that dire, I can assure you people will try to get what you have, and if there is no stopping them, I will give them that food. Count your calories. Another thing to think about is how you eat now versus how you will be eating in case of an SHTF situation. According to different studies that have been done, the average American consumer consumes between 2,800 to 3,300 calories a day. And I'm not sure I agree with that number. Watching what people I work with put into their bodies on a daily basis, they eat way more than 3,000 calories a day. 
I am confident in an SHTO situation you will not be consuming 3,000 calories. I mean, you could, but then how long will your food storage last? Which means you need to plan your long-term food storage to last your, you based on the number of calories you want to consume daily. Have you ever gone on a diet? And have you had success with said diet? In my opinion, most of us fail to be successful with diets because food is everywhere and so easy to get. We can always start a diet tomorrow or try to eat healthier tomorrow, but what if the power goes out tomorrow and doesn't come back on instead? So you are going to have to make do with the food you have in your house. If you are eating 3,000 calories a day, how long will the food last you? You may have to do some serious planning because if you dropped your calorie intake down to 1,500 calories per day, you could increase the length of time your food would last times two. You also should consider how many people are in your family and or how many people you will be preparing meals for because you will need to accommodate their caloric needs too. This is why long-term food storage is so important to think about. Your food will run out. No matter how well you prepare and plan, eventually your food storage will run out. Everyone's food storage will run out eventually. Unless one day we are lucky enough to have food replicators, then the discussion might be irrelevant. But until that day comes, you need to plan on what you will do when you no longer have food stored. The majority of people will not be thinking about this until the, they open their cupboards and find there isn't anything left. You and I, on the other hand, are already looking several years ahead and planning on what we will do for food. Long-term food equals a short-term solution. Your long-term food storage is not meant to last forever. It is meant to help get you through until your other options have come into play. For example, if everything goes down in the middle of the winter, you will most likely have a few months before you can even begin to get your garden going and even longer before your food is ready to be harvested and preserved. In a short-term disaster scenario, long-term food storage is a great way to bulk up your food supply very quickly. Dell and I have a mix of pantry foods and long-term food. We sell legacy food storage products at the SHTF shop. If you are interested or have any questions, let us know here. Your long-term food storage is meant to supplement and get you through your, until your alternative food sources are available. This is why your planning is so important when considering just how you will create your long-term storage plan. Diversify your pantry. You do want to include regular shelf life type products like canned goods and pantry items. Staples like flour, spices, noodles, etc. can be a mixture of regular grocery store purchases and also includes some longer term shelf life items that you can find from companies like Legacy or Augustine Farms. You will also want to include your own preserved food if you are capable of doing this. If you have never attempted canning or making meals in jars, now would be a good time to start learning these skills. And above everything, always store what you eat and eat what you store in order to make the most of your long term food stores. All right, so um, good information there. Uh, you know, you always talk. You, you we talk about long-term food storage, but I like the the uh, you know the fact that she voiced it here is that your long-term food storage is not for long-term survival. It's to get you to when you're able to count on uh, your next food source, right? And so you're you're counting on you know dehydrated food, freeze-dried food canned food, um, you know, all the, you know, stuff that you stored in uh, Mylar bags and five gallon uh, buckets with O2 absorbers. And uh, you're able to, uh, to get to that and eat that so that when you, you know, you can get to a point where you can garden or you do have options a little bit later on down the road. And so uh, I like that. And I really like the idea of keeping uh, expired food and keeping it you know, so like if uh, if you were in a real SHTF scenario, right, 
and you um, you were concerned about people coming in and taking your food, you would have that expired food in your pantry where people would come and, and uh, where they would go to first, right? And they would get that stuff and take it with them and then leave. And then your real food storage uh, would be somewhere else put up, you know, kind of hidden. Uh, or, you know, your real food would be hidden. And maybe you have a mixture, right? Maybe you have, uh, you know, one shelf with your expired food and you know that that's expired food and you don't touch it but you leave it there so it looks good and then you have all your your other stuff there so i'm thinking back to uh you know back in the day when covert prepper was around his uh his website has gone down uh but you know he talked about having uh you know ways to to show um when people would come in you know it's like uh ways to uh, divert them into uh mask what you really really have so anyway, um, good article there over at the survivalistprepper.com or .net, I'm sorry, and uh, go check that one out. All right, our next article comes to us from Peak Prosperity, and uh, Peak Prosperity is Chris Martinson's website, and I've uh, I've listened to Chris for a while. Uh, I remember listening to some of his uh, um, or watching a video. One one of the first ones that I remember about him talking, he's talking about silver. And people were, you know, just, uh, I think he was in Mexico, if I'm not mistaken. And this is years and years ago. And people were just like, um, you know, not wanting to believe, uh, you know, the, the issues around, you know, why you would go to silver or whatever. Um, but uh, Chris and uh, Adam uh, Taggart, uh, Taggart over there uh, run Peak Prosperity. And Adam, you know, has written an article that I think is really, uh, really good. And, uh, you know, it, we'll, we'll play into uh to a, a lot of our understandings, I mean, we we understand this, but I, I think sometimes it, it just uh, it helps to uh, solidify our thoughts on why we do what we do. So uh, it starts off. Uh, the article is better a year early than a day too late. Preparation only has value if it's done in advance. And again, uh, there is this. Uh, it's by Adam Taggart, and uh, there is a proverb. They start off the article with this with a proverb: "He who hesitates." is lost. So let's go ahead and start reading this one. Change, especially a collapse scenario, often happens quite fast. So fast that there's little to no time to react in the short frenzy between before and after. This is true throughout nature. Glaciers that took millennia to form calve off into the sea in a matter of moments. Old growth forests filled with thousand year old trees can be decimated by a single wildfire. The bubonic plague or the Black Death pandemic of the Middle Ages killed one-third of the Earth's human population within just, short, within just four short years. Fast change is also a hallmark of human society. Movements and ideas, oftentimes simmering for years, decades or longer, suddenly reach a critical state in which the populace is swept up into history-making action. The outbreak of World War I, the Civil Rights Movement, the dissolution of the USSR, the digital age. When it comes, change happens swiftly, and life after, for better or worse, is forever different. I have witnessed this time and time again since co-founding PeakProsperity.com, and in pretty much every instance, I notice that the vast majority of people, including even many of the watchful and preparation-minded folks who read this site, are caught by surprise. Fukushima a good example of this was the, the disaster at the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant in March of 2011. Of course, no one could have foretold the timing and scale of the tsunami, and virtually nobody expected that it could overwhelm the facility as spectacularly as it did. 
So in the immediate aftermath of the plant's failure, the world looked on in sympathy, not fear. But on March 12th, that changed as the first of several hydrogen explosions was observed among the reactors. And then my phone rang. It was Chris, my co-founder, here at PeakProsperity.com. I don't know exactly, oh, this is quote, quote, I don't know exactly what that was, but it wasn't good, end quote. He said, based on his background in the sciences, his strong assessment was that the situation at the plant was much more serious than was being publicly admitted to. Since I live on the West Coast here in the U.S., he advised me to consider getting a radiation detection contamination protection kit, just in case. While we both hoped it wouldn't come to that, I quickly heeded his advice. I placed an order for a kit, as well as a shipment of iodine tablets. I was very lucky to have done so, because just a few short hours later, as the world woke up to the worsening situation at Fukushima, anything related to radioactive contamination was sold out across the U.S. for months. The supply chain for that stuff was minuscule compared to the demand of a panicked nation. If you were late to the game, and pretty much everybody but the extreme early birds like me was, you were out of luck and vulnerable. Now thankfully, as horrible as the ongoing crisis there still is, It's six years later and the radioactive fuel that melted through containment still remains in a molten state. The worst case scenario didn't materialize. But I still keep my contamination kit handy. More than anything else is a reminder of how fast things can change and of the outsized value of early action. I'm sorry. And of the outsized value of early action. I was right on that one. Sorry. Uh, The Oroville Dam. More recently, we saw a similarly swift devolution of events at California's Oroville Dam this year. The West Coast had suffered an especially wet winter, and an arrival of a Pineapple Express weather system in February didn't help the situation. California residents were focused on flooding and mudslides in the usual places. No one had any inkling that there was a risk of larger infrastructure failures, let alone one at the tallest dam in the U.S., And as the water levels rose at the Oroville Dam, the the communication from state authorities was, quote, all is fine, all is under control, there's nothing to worry about, end quote. Until suddenly, a mass evacuation of over 200,000 residents living downstream was ordered. Not surprisingly, the subsequent panic scrambled resulted in tremendous traffic jams slowing down the evacuation to a snail's snail's pace. Residents had no time to prepare but supplies. If there were enough in their area to purchase or line up a safe destination they could head for, they, ju- they, had, they just had to grab what they could and flee as best they were able. Again, everything appeared fine right up until the tipping point. Those with the foresight before to pack a, go- a to-go bag, arrange a bug-out crash pad, or better yet, leave for a safer location until the water stopped rising, fared much better than the herd who waited. The 2008 Financial Crisis On a more economic note, I've pointed out in a number of past articles how quickly things went south during the 2008 financial crisis. Even pundits like Chris and I, who warned for years it was very likely coming, were still shocked by how viciously it struck. Most folks have preferred to forget how quickly the bubble popped. Between September and October, the S&P 500 lost one-third of its value. Poof. Of course, the S&P then continued falling through March, ending at over 50% lower than its pre-crisis high. Millions of jobs were lost over these months, and the price of other major assets from houses to bonds were savaged too. 
It all happened so quickly that most investors and homeowners were simply overwhelmed by the stock. Unsure what to do, they simply watched the price of their assets continue to fall, praying for the carnage to end. Timing isn't everything. Positioning is. They say that timing is, is everything. I disagree. Trying to time disruptive events is a fool's errand. In the years I've been involved in running this business, I've seen too many people make big bets, portfolio allocations, geographic relocation, job change, etc., because they were rock-solidly convinced a major change event was imminent. Most of those folks eventually regretted the cost of their haste, as the status quo continued to muddle on much longer than they'd expected. Anyone who predicts with exactitude about the win of future events is deluding either you or themselves, more likely both. But we can predict the what or what will happen with much greater precision, and that's where advantage can be gained. For instance, many of those paying attention in the years leading up to 2008 had arrived at the conclusion that bad policies and overly loose lending standards had resulted in mall investments on such a grand scale that a massive clearing event was inevitable. Did they know the date of the tipping point? No but they knew the probability of a major financial crisis increased with each year. Those who positioned themselves prudently in advance avoided the loss that everyone else took. As the big short detailed, some were even able to profit wildly from their foresight, though admittedly this was just a rarefied few. The adjective prudently is important here, because here at PeakProsperity.com we emphasize risk management, not speculation. Our goal is to maximize our odds for prospering no matter which future outcome arrives. Yes, the intent is to enjoy the best, risk-adjusted, return in building our wealth as possible. But it's important to understand that sometimes prospering simply means losing less than we would have otherwise should events go against our expectations. So for those looking to protect and, and grow their wealth, our advice is to focus on the positioning for highly predictable events rather than their timing. This is the same logic underlying in insurance policy. Illness, injury, car accidents, house fires, the timing of these, if they happen at all, is unknowable. But should they happen, insurance only has value to you if you procured it in advance. The exact same is true across the spectrum of the eight forms of capital. For those unfamiliar with the framework, it's the guidance we offer for building true wealth in life. Don't wait to invest in your health until you've developed a chronic condition. Don't put off building community before a crisis, injury, or job loss, etc. forces you to ask for help from others. Don't forget about creating an emergency kit until some disaster, like a hurricane, earthquake, flood, etc. hits. For those who put off taking advanced action, it may be simply too late in a number of scenarios should the status quo quickly change. Don't be an avoidable victim. For the events you calculate are likely to happen, assess your current level of preparedness and take steps now to shore up any deficiencies. As you, as you do this, ask yourself, what would I absolutely regret not having in place should this happen tomorrow? Make the list your top priority. To help you in this, we have a self-assessment form which you can download for free here. We use it at our annual seminar each year, so it's pretty well honed at this point. After taking it, some folks prefer to go a step further and schedule a consultation with Chris to discuss their personal situation and to get, this, to get his experienced perspective on the plans as they take shape. If interested, you can learn more about how to do that here.
But the main focus here is to prioritize the key steps to take in advance of any potential life-altering events that concern you. For example, anyone who reads PeakProsperity.com should know that Chris and I think a major market correction is long overdue. We anticipate price drops of a similar magnitude as seen during the 2008 crisis and possibly even worse. For those new to the site, read The Mother of All Financial Bubbles. If you share our conclusion, are you positioned prudently should the market correction arrive tomorrow? Remember that in 2008, most people didn't expect the market to fall. Folks believed it's different this time. Yet, when the market started tanking in September, it happened so quickly that investors had already lost a third of their portfolio value by the time their October statements arrived in the mail. At that point, most were psychologically unprepared and simply held on, praying that the market would go back up, and still prices kept falling for months after. Don't let this happen to you. Determine what your minimum acceptable positioning should be, and then make sure it's in place. Even if it's as simple as just holding more of your investment portfolio in boring old cash, feel free to read our How to Hedge Against a Market Correction Guide for additional ideas. I myself just updated readers on how I recently increased my short positions within my portfolio. Yet, it still surprises me how many people I talk with regularly who agree the risk of a market correction is uncomfortably high but have not yet begun to position themselves accordingly. For example, a large number of folks have had free consultations with our endorsed financial advisor since the start of 2017, each very concerned to protect their financial wealth should a market correction happen. Many indeed plan to open accounts but haven't yet, remaining invested in their existing long positions for the time being. Why? Because they've been making money over the past several years and can't yet wean themselves off the central bank gravy train even though their brains tell them it will inevitably come to an abrupt and painful end. If you're one of these folks, please reflect for a moment. No one can predict when the next market downturn will happen. But the time, by the time it does, your capital needs to have already been positioned smartly in advance. It will do you a lot less good to try to sell after taking an initial round of losses. And at that point, emotionally, you might find yourself too shell-shocked to take action. There might even be restrictions placed on access to your funds if the situation gets bad enough. So in today's urge to wait just a little bit longer worth the risk, only you can determine if and when to transfer any of your capital over. But if you already made the decision in your mind to eventually do so, as many of you have expressed, then a prudent step is to simply fill out the paperwork to open an account now. You can deal with any transfers later. Doing this is a small investment of your energy in the here and now, but will save you valuable time, stress, and potential uncertainty should you decide to move your money there urgently in the future. So whether you plan to work with or our endorsed advisor or another one you like even better, remove as much friction as you can today that could threaten to derail your goals for tomorrow. The same logic applies to nearly anyone concerned about the three E's discussed in the crash course. Homeowners looking to sell before the next housing downturn. With more and more major markets topping out, have you determined a time frame by which you'd like to have your house sold? Have you identified the broker or the agent you'd like to use? Have you calculated your desired listing price? Account holders at too big to fail banks. If you're planning on eventually moving your cash to an alternative provider with less exposure to derivative risk or the potential for a bail-in, have you identified the specific credit union or savings bank or private vault, etc. yet? Have you conducted a, te a test transfer yet? 
those considered buying cryptocurrencies for the first time. Have you learned how to purchase them yet? Which coins do you want to buy? Are you going to use an exchange? Which one? How do you plan to store your coins? Have you lined up that solution yet? Those switching to a degrowth lifestyle. Where do you want to live? What will your homestead needs be? Will you keep your current job or, or need to reskill? Will your new lifestyle depend more on others? If these answers require any life changes, have you made any of them yet? And on and on. In all of these cases, the benefits of taking action on the essential steps today in advance of a future date by which you may desperately want those steps to have been taken are clear. Most folks just need a little nudge or inspiration to get started. Consider this your call to action. For those who haven't thoroughly utilized them yet, our free What Should I Do guide, as well as our book, Prosper, How to Prepare for the Future and Create a World Worth Inheriting, are chock full of our best guidance and recommendations. As Chris has often said about preparing for events that have large downside risk, it's much better to be a year early than a day late. Very wise words. What would you regret most being a day late on? Whatever your answer, focus your attention there today. So um, a great article there on positioning, and uh, I love that idea to where you, you can't time it. You know, you can't time the, the, the collapse. You can't time, you know, a bad situation uh, when it's going to happen. Uh, but you can pre-position. You can position yourself to be able to thrive or to be prepared to meet those needs when things happen. And so, you know, here he's, he's talked about all the, you know, he talked about Fukushima or the Oroville Dam, the financial crisis. Um, you know, he's talking about, uh, you know, people who have portfolios. If you're, if you're lucky enough to have money, you know, in stocks and, and all those kinds of things, you might want to consider that. You know, do, are you, I don't think anybody, listen, if, if you are still banking with one of the big banks, right? Um, you, you, man, you really need to get out of there. You need to get to a credit union as, as fast as possible because those, those banks are there to make a profit and, uh, they will nickel and dime you. They will, they will screw you over, um, to just because, you know, they, they want to build their buildings kind of like what Dave Ramsey says, right? He's, uh, you know, they, they want to build their buildings. They want to have their nice structures. They, they got to pay for that somehow. And so uh, credit unions are, are a little bit uh, better. They're, they're not out to make a profit. Uh, you know, they pay their, you know, they, they pay their bills and things like that. Um, they do all the things that they need to, but, you know, they're, they're, it's just a better deal. And so uh, I've always, um, you know, j just the fact of uh, if you were to bounce a check, and I mean, I haven't bounced a check in, in, in years, I mean, since I was a kid, actually. Um, but you know that cost was crazy because you wind up paying uh, the the you know the the business that you wrote the the check to you wind up paying a fee and some of the fees are like forty dollars now right on some of these banks when you when you bounce um, credit unions aren't like that I mean you're you're gonna pay a fee but they all have that ability that if you have a savings account they're gonna draw from your savings account first before they bounce a check right and so that's what you know that's anyway um, so i'm getting off topic there but uh, uh you know consider all those things now consider what you can do now um the people that have flooded here in houston how many of those people were thinking about flood insurance how many people were thinking about um 
hey, you know, I mean, you know, I think it might be a good idea to have flood insurance. It doesn't cost that much, uh, you know, as opposed to, you know, if you really needed it, blah, 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 and all that kind of stuff. And then this happened and then they didn't have flood insurance. Uh, I talked with or didn't talk with. I, I read a post of someone that I used to go to school with back in the junior high days. And, uh, you know, they flooded. They had probably, you know, chest high water in their house. And uh, they've been going at it for, you know, for a day now. And they had a lot of help and they were very, very grateful. But they said that things are already molding, uh, you know. And so it's, you know, it's just a bad situation. So what could you preposition right now? Uh, have you made that bug out bag? Uh, have you stored, uh, you know, some rice and beans? Rice and beans, when you put those two together, you know, it's, it's, it's a good meal. You can, you can uh, with a little bit of seasoning, you can make a good meal. You can add some things from a garden. You can, you know, put some uh, some canned meat, you know, in there. Spice it up a little bit, uh, whatever. But you know, having rice and beans in mylar bags inside of five gallon uh, buckets from Home Depot uh, with O2 absorbers and the whole deal—that is so easy to do. And uh, it might require, you know, you got to order the supplies and go pick up the supplies and blah blah blah. And then you do it, and it will take you. Uh, literally it will take you depending on how much you do uh, maybe an hour to, to you know from start to finish and then you just need the place to store it and so uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna link to my uber guide uh, on food long-term food storage um, I'll just lay out when I first started in preparedness there wasn't a lot of guides on there was articles there and different things like that I was really looking for YouTube videos now there's a lot of information out there but I put together a lot of uh, a lot of the information that I use and then things that I've seen over the years in running Prepper website uh, on things for, for long-term food storage and, and building your own supply and, and what you could learn and blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. So uh, if you have not done that, I mean, it, it, just do it. Just bite the bullet and do it. It is not, it is not that hard to do. Anyone can do it. So um, uh, I'm going to link to that one as well so you can check that out and, uh, you know, buckle down and get some food storage, you know, get some uh, some means to uh, to filter water, you know, and uh, just have you done that? Bite the bullet and do that. Have you started a preparedness plan? Uh, bite the bullet and, and just start taking a little bit of time to think through it. What would you do? And uh, so I, I really like this article. I think it's uh, very timely. Um we're we're looking at so many things up in the air right now, and uh, you need to be able to move forward with uh, with that. Um, and 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 you you need to be able to when the the poop hits the fan, that you're not in. in Adam uh, wrote about that shell shot here, that when the poop hits the fan, that you have an idea of things that need to get done, and you're able to do them, and you you go into to, uh, to to action mode, not like oh my gosh, what do I do? What what was that thing that I needed to do? Is it you you already know what needs to get done and you go into action mode? All right, so that's what I want to leave you with there. There are a lot of links in here, uh, guides, uh, and to be honest with you, I haven't checked out that one um, um, that one uh, assessment self assessment form. I, I'm going to download it. I mean, he's, he said that they use it at their annual seminar, so I'm going to check that out. Um, but there's a lot of links here that I, th I think are very, very valuable. Some of the things I know that I've linked to on Prepper website in the past, but uh, you can go check those out over at peakprosperity.com. All right, so uh, let's go ahead and go into the next article. This is uh, from my website. It's called The Bug Out Formula. If you have to ask yourself, it's already too late. This is actually a guest post. It didn't turn out to be a guest post, 
Um, someone here in the Houston area, uh, Mike Michael, sent me an email and just we started kind of going back and forth. And uh, he was talking about some things and kind of thinking out loud and writing some things down. Actually, just I just recently heard from him. He's asking how things were going on um, uh, here in Houston, at least, you know, if we were okay and stuff like that. And uh, so, uh, you know, kind of brought this to my memory. But then also a lot of people were asking, like, why didn't Houston evacuate? Uh, and uh, I'll tell you why Houston didn't evacuate. The last time um, when Katrina hit, okay, back in the day, that that next week or two weeks after that, Rita was um, Hurricane Rita was supposed to hit. It was a Category Five. It was supposed to directly hit Galveston, come up I-45, and it was going to be devastating. So everyone had Katrina fresh on the mind. They saw all the looting. They saw all the the destruction in New Orleans. They saw the Superdome and all the things that were going on and all the stores. Kind of like what people are hearing now all over the place that aren't in Houston. I'm sure people are hearing about all the different kind of rumors and stuff. They were, they were, everybody was seeing all those things. And so our school district, I remember, we closed on, on Thursday. You know, They gave Friday to everyone so that they could prepare. If they wanted to get out of Houston or whatever, they wanted to leave, they could leave. But people panicked. And again, um, people panicked and uh, they, they got on the road. And people wound up dying because it was so congested congested actually it wasn't just Rita I think in in uh, Hurricane Ike I think it happened as well um, people people um, you know decided to leave Houston and everything was so congested um, I remember you know those of you that run my uh, or the, sorry those of you who remember uh, we used to run a, a foster group home one of our, our kids who used to live with us and who had aged out of care was living with her aunt and they, they got out of Houston, and it took them hours and hours, I mean like eight hours, to get out of Houston and to get far up north. And then there was nothing. Um, people who talked about like all the convenience. So people were stranded on the, on the freeways, uh, and then all the convenience stores and everything were just wiped out. I mean, nothing was there. People were running out of gas. People who had health conditions, uh, their vehicles ran out of gas and they wound up dying because the heat was so bad. Um, you know, it's so all those things are fresh on people's minds, uh, you know, because it wasn't too long ago that we had all this all this craziness happen on the freeway because people were were freaking out and they were evacuating and people died. So that's why the mayor of Houston was like, uh, no, you know, we're not going to evacuate. It's going to be a flooding situation. And there has been death here. Um, I think the count is up to 38, and they're expecting more uh, in the Houston area um, uh, because of the of the hurricane. But uh, you know, there the, the could be you know a lot more in the evacuation uh, in the evacuation plan. So think about if you were stranded on the freeways. You've seen a lot of pictures of the freeways that were completely underwater. Um, if you were stranded on the freeways and then all that water started coming rushing, I mean, you'd have to get out of your car and you'd have to start, you know, getting out. You'd be completely displaced and possibly where your home didn't flood. Now you're in a flood situation where you've lost your car and, you, you know, you can't get back home and all those kinds of things. So um, what Michael did here is he started putting, he started using a little bit of math on what it would take. And so I really like this idea. So when you think about wherever you are, I mean, you know, if you are in a city, even if you are in a small city, 
uh, evacuation, if you had to evacuate, you need to consider how many people would be leaving the city and consider all the, the, um, you know, the highways and the freeways and the streets that go out and what they would look like, right? So uh, I'm going to read this article and, and hopefully you'll get a little bit of insight into why sometimes bugging out, if you don't get, uh, get a good start on it, then your best bet is probably to, uh, to stay, stay put. So uh, the bug out formula, if you have to ask yourself, it's already too late. Todd's note. I recently received the article below in an email from Michael R. He didn't intend to send it to me as a potential article. He instead was passing along information that he had been thinking about, analyzing, and trying to problem solve. I thought that his information was important to pass along, being that I haven't seen the effort or actual numbers put into explaining why freeways and roads will become impassable if major cities try to bug out in an emergency situation. Michael makes a lot of sense. After thinking through his information, I believe it is even more important to be aware of what is going on and either move now or choose to bug in. I don't know if getting a jump start on bugging out will be possible. If you have to think about it, you might be too late. The simple common definition of bug out is traveling, and more specifically, traveling from a densely populated area to a less densely populated area. Have you ever thought about the minimum amount of time that the perfectly prepared family who has a plan and has practiced evacuation would need to evacuate to a predetermined bug out location? Yes, there are a lot of qualifiers in this sentence, but work with me here. Let's start by setting up the parameters as a challenge. First, the only criteria for our perfect family who are all at home in their metropolitan suburb is they will only need to grab the most urgent essentials like medicine, then depart their home and arrive at their bug out location within 12 hours to beat the challenge. Well, that's an easy challenge to win. The fastest transportation is our fully fueled vehicle since we have pre-deployed our resources in advance, so we'll simply jump in our vehicle and be there in a few hours. But since we're cautious people, we'll do some risk assessment using the tried and true what ifs. What if our metropolitan city, in our case, Dallas, attempted to evacuate? There, there are a lot of people in Dallas, but a lot is kind of vague. And only a few keystrokes reveal that there are 451,000 houses in Dallas County. A few more keystrokes reveal that each household has 1.8 cars but it is reasonable to believe that an evacuation will cause families to travel as a unit in a single vehicle. So let's think that at most 451,000 cars will hit the streets. However, it is safe to assume that not all residents will evacuate, so I'll reduce the number by 20%, leaving the potential for 360,800 cars on the road. Okay, now some fairly uncomplicated criteria. A car is 16 to 17 feet long, Plus, you might add a foot or two to compensate for sharing the road with an unknown quantity of 73-foot-long tractor-trailer rigs and the 50-foot-long travel trailers, trailers that those almost prepared will attempt to escape in, all of which equals about 6-plus million feet of vehicles. Add to that 1 million feet of trailers and another 1 million feet of bumper space. That's 1.5 feet between vehicles divided by the number of feet in a mile. 5,280 equals 1,500 miles of vehicles. Okay, where could, you, where could those 1,500 miles of vehicles go? A safe answer is anywhere out of Dallas, but let's stick to major high-speed traffic arteries like interstate highways. 
Dallas has three interstates, meaning 16 lanes of outbound roadways available for use in a mass evacuation of Dallas. One additional fact, studies of actual highway traffic have measured vehicle flow rates as high as 2,000 vehicles per lane per hour at a speed of 60 miles per hour. In a perfect scenario, 360,800 vehicles at 60 miles per hour will take 200 hours to evacuate Dallas. The math is 2,000 vehicles per hour times 2 seconds per vehicle divided 60 will equal hours you may want to leave early. Here's the total breakdown. So there is a spreadsheet here that uh, that is um, that we took a graphic of and uh, added it to this article. It ends up that you have 2,784 miles of vehicles wanting to occupy 956 miles of interstate. An omission that dawned on me as I was rethinking my premise, houses are not households. Houses are houses. Apartments are not included. The Dallas Apparent Apartment Association says there are 201,599 apartments in Dallas County, but there is no average number of cars per apartment. The safest guess may be one car per apartment and 40% to miles, so 3,894 miles of cars wanting to occupy 239 miles. Now, if you think that everyone had a place to go, like mom and dad's house, a second home, a farm, or a camping place, and that they were evenly spread across the six major arteries out of Dallas, there would still not be enough road space. Figure it this way. Six arteries times four lanes per artery times X miles. It doesn't matter what X equals. The first bottleneck stops all traffic. In an attempt to keep things simple, these thoughts were based on only Dallas County being evacuated and not any other city or town. Not Plano, Frisco, Allen, McKinney, Garland, Arlington, or Fort Worth. Those are all around the Dallas area. Uh, Just FYI, for those of you who don't know. The compounding factor is simply beyond my simple premise. If you apply a simple advancement algorithm to the 11 counties that are 900 square miles each around Dallas County, the result is a multiplier of about 8 instead of 3,000 miles of cars you have 30,000 miles of cars. My mind hit tilt way long ago. Conclusions Some cautious conclusions come to mind. It seems reasonable that in only one hour, cars leaving Dallas will be bumper to bumper or stopped on all paved roadways for 250 miles. Yep, total stop. Highways will become parking lots. The majority of people will be poorly prepared for returning home and unprepared to walk to continue their journey to to a place of refuge. Add to that the idea that no relief vehicle could travel past the first creek because every bridge would be impassable from the people clustering around it for water, for family caregivers who won't abandon the infirm or young. Personally, I have come to the conclusion that it is mathematically impossible for a family evacuation to a bug-out location located within 300 miles of home without a head start of 12 hours. FYI, the equation had no allowance for lane stoppages, accidents, or breakdowns. Care to make a side bet on the probability of no accidents from a panicked mob? Me neither. To me, this says hunker down or leave early. A short list of recent evacuations in the U.S., the following is, part, is a partial list of some of the larger emergency events population movements in the past 10 years. I did not include population movements for genocide, epidemics, famine, or armed conflicts, civil wars. August 2005, 484,000 evacuated during Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans, Louisiana. 
September 2005, 3 million evacuated Texas in Texas and Louisiana, including 2.4 million from Houston, Texas, due to Hurricane Rita. October 2007, California wildfires, wildfires forced more than 900,000 people in Southern California to evacuate. August 2008, 1.9 million people evacuate coastal Louisiana, including New Orleans for Hurricane Gustav. August 2011, a mass evacuation stretching from North Carolina to New York is ordered because of Hurricane Irene and its size. The current situations bugging out on foot, more questions than answers. I am also perplexed at the current migration in Europe. How are so many people feeding themselves on a 2,600 mile journey? How are they traveling? Who is underwriting the costs associated with the migration? We know there is food for the migrants because there is no outcry about starvation. But where is the food coming from? On a daily basis, a million people consume an enormous amount of food. We know that ramping up food production takes months. Where is all this food coming from? Will the consumption of these food reserves cause a rise in food costs as product stocks are depleted? Todd's note. Michael gives us a lot to think about. What do you think? Feel free to leave your comments below. Check the links for more information on bugging out, bug out vehicles, or bug out bags. And check, check these links bug out location and and bobs bug out bags all right so uh good article there and a lot to consider uh about you know what things look like and again it's one reason why i always say you need to be aware of what's going on and uh definitely know that i mean we have a place up in the country but you know we all know that if we don't get a jump start on it um you know there are some alternative routes that we have but even those i think would be locked down uh, you know, once you get to a certain certain place. So, um, you know, a lot to consider here. If you're planning on bugging out, you need to be way ahead of the game and be, um, you know, be be, uh, be aware of what's going on so you're able to take off. And that's if you are able to get in and, and get moving. Uh, not the fact that of, you know, hey, I got to pack up, I got to pack bags, I got to pack medicine, I got to find this, I got to find that. And, uh, you know, all those things that, that go into that. So uh, a lot, a lot to consider. And so when people talk about evacuating Houston, um, there just would have been no, no way. There would have been, it would have been uh, worse. It would have caused more harm uh, than good if, if that would have happened. At least I believe that. So a lot of good links here, uh, definitely over on uh, in this article over at Ed That Matters. You want to go check this out because uh, I link to a lot of good stuff here. Um, you know, if you do hit one of these articles, uh, you know, let the website webmaster know that hey, you you're coming because of the Prepper Website Podcast. But uh, just um, you know, appreciate all those websites. If you're a website owner and you're listening, thanks so much for allowing us to read your articles. It always is uh, a very um, a very cool thing to be able to share out more information out there and make it available because there's some people that uh, aren't visiting websites, but uh, they will hit a podcast and get their information that way. So, hey, with that, I'd love to hear uh, any feedback that you have. You can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Don't forget to sign up for the mailing list and join the Facebook group if you uh, want to be a part of that community over there. Um, so with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until next week, stay prepped and aware. Peace.